0: Greetings and welcome to Holy Crap It Sports, coming to you live from the palatial Sandy Springs studio. I'm Pete Davis for a lovely Tuesday afternoon. Hey, what are we going to have on store for tonight? And this is two days in a row we're doing this. So maybe we'll start doing this daily or at least every other day. Tonight we're going to have the latest baseball news for you. Why umpires wear suits. Did you know that? Why do they wear suits? Well, you'll know after this show. Uh, should we use analytics on the fans too, not just the players? More Yankee injuries. The struggling Red Sox, have they pushed the panic button with a move today? More Jackie Robinson lore. Uh, baseball bathroom fans. Follies in Tampa Bay, and of course, the ubiquitous and always lovely this day in baseball history. We start with, well, something of a dicochet. You've heard of a ricochet, right? Well, Cubs pitcher Hugh Darvish has accomplished a ricochet. Used 99 mile per hour fastball hit Marlins player Louis Brinson in the family jewels. and then bounced off his little bat and glanced off Cubbies catcher Wilson Contreras before smacking into home plate umpire Brian Onora's neck. And two of them went down. The catcher was not one of them. Poor Lewis. I think he's probably not going to have twins anymore. Uh, so we have a little problem with our bathrooms on the Tampa Bay Rays. Because I know every time I get out of the shower and I'm butt naked and I'm cold and I'm wet and the floor is wet, the first thing I want to do is lift a heavy object. The Rays have placed ace Blake Snell on the 10-day injured list with a broken toe. The reigning AL Cy Young Award winner suffered the fractured fourth toe on his right foot when he got out of the shower and then attempted to move a large granite item. Snell told reporters it was really dumb. It's like a three-piece set in this pole that comes up like two and a half, three feet. I went to move it. I lifted it up, and it was not glued to the pole, and the pole came crashing down. Kind of like what I just did in the studio here. I picked up a stool, placed it down, and placed it on top of my toe. Snell, the 26 year old, is uh, only going to miss one start, it seems. The move is retroactive to Sunday. He hopes just one start. He's 2-1 and one this season with a 2.16 ERA and four starts. The lefty 36 strikeouts in just 25 innings. To fill the roster spot, the Rays have called up Emilio Pagan from Triple-A Durham. Well, if you wanted to know what's going on with the All-Star Game in the year 2026, ponder no more. Baseball's All-Star Game in 2026 will be played in Philadelphia to mark the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Commissioner Rob Manford made the announcement Tuesday at Independence Hall. And believe me, if you go to Philadelphia, there's really only three reasons to go. The museums, the cheesesteaks, and that downtown area that has Independence Hall, Betsy Ross's house, and the Liberty Bell and Ben Franklin's house. Those are pretty cool places. Anyway, Phillies Hall of Famer Mike Schmidt was on the stage with the uh, commish, along with six-time All-Star Bryce Harper. Uh, They were the last two speakers to speak. This is going to be the first All-Star game at Citizens Bank Park, the bandbox, which opened in 2004. The 1976 All-Star game was played at Veterans Stadium. Ooh, what a hole that was to mark the 200th anniversary of the Declaration. And the 1996 All-Star game was also played at the Vet, which stood in the same sports complex down in South. Philly. The 1943 and 1952 All-Star Games were at Shibe Park. This year's All-Star Game is July 9th in Cleveland, if you didn't know that already. The 2020 game next year will be at Dodger Stadium in LA, site of the 1980 game, and sites for 2021 through 25 have not been announced, and uh, I imagine Atlanta might get one of those since they have a new ballpark, and I'm sure there's other cities wanting it as well. More Jackie Robinson lore for you, because a lot of the teams did not play yesterday on the official Jackie Robinson Day, April fifteenth. So on the sixteenth, more of the teams are going to play, like uh, the Braves and Diamondbacks tonight at SunTrust Park in Atlanta. But here's a little something a nugget of joy that the Washington Nationals put out for you about Jackie Robinson: nineteen forty seven Rookie of the Year for Major League Baseball, nineteen forty nine National League batting champ, nineteen forty nine NL MVP. Six-time All-Star, 1955 World Series champ, 311 career average, 409 career on base percentage, countless barriers broken, and at the end there, when they traded him to the Crosstown New York Giants, the hated enemy, he'd rather retire than play for the Gents. So have the Red Sox already pushed the panic button? Maybe. Uh, The Red Sox have recalled catcher Sandy Leon and designated catcher Blake Swihart for assignment making Swihart the first roster casualty amid the team's early season struggles. Leon, who spent the first few weeks of this season in AAA, will be behind the plate and will bat eighth when the Red Sox take on the Yankees in New York City with Chris Sale on the mound. That's tonight. The Red Sox are off to a 6-11 and start, tied for last place in the American League East and their starters have the worst ERA in baseball at 7.18. Leon spent much of last year as Sale's personal catcher, and much of the Red Sox pitching staff speaks glowing of his ability to call the game. In 2018, he led the majors with a 3.29 catcher's ERA in 89 games. It looks like Swihart, who was once the top prospect in the Red Sox farm system, the 2011 first-round pick, has struggled with injuries since making his Major League debut back in 2015. He's 27 years old, finished last year batting just 229 with three homers and 18 RBIs in 82 games, and in his career in 203 games with the Sox, Swihart has hit just 255 with nine homers and 58 RBIs accumulating a 0.3 war well here's a nice little article from adrian garro g-a-r-r-o you can follow him at adrian garro he's talking about um, what the blue jays did sixth inning monday's blue jays twins game at target field Brandon Drury took a ball on the 2-2 offering from Martin Pérez and began heading to first, mistakenly thinking it was ball four. But it was not. And over at first base, Teoscar Hernandez also thought Drury had walked, so he began trotting to second and was promptly tagged out. That's got to feel bad, but thanks to the forgiving nature of baseball, this wasn't the only noteworthy part of Hernandez's night. In the eighth inning, he stepped up and hit a game-changing three-run homer, giving Toronto a 5-3 to lead and effectively sealing the deal for the game and by extension redeeming himself in grand fashion. Hey, you like the ambient sound I got going on in the studio now? I got the windows open. It's a beautiful spring day. Got the door open. The plants are loving it. And you can hear the cars starting in the parking lot. Uh, they want to say LA Angels on this next story But I refuse to They are and sure ever remain for me The California Angels Slugger Shohei Otani had a follow-up appointment Monday To check out on his progress from his Tommy John surgery He has been cleared to hit live pitching in about a week. Manager Brad Ausmus, yes, that's where Ausmus ended up. All is good. Everything came back good. The doctor was pleased, and he's going to continue his progression. Otani, who's just 24, has been hitting off a pitching machine. The team is targeted next month for his return. He will not pitch this season, but the Angels uh, could use that lefty bat. The Angels are now 8-7, and seven, but are currently in the bottom third of the league in OPS. Well, here's not very good news, especially when we're celebrating Jackie Robinson. Major League Baseball is investigating racist Instagram messages sent to Cubs pitcher Carl Edwards Jr. The team also reacted to the messages, which came after Edwards struggled in his first few appearances of the season before he was demoted to Triple A Iowa. And according to uh, team president Theo Epstein, he said in a statement, we were shocked by the racist, profanity-laced social media message sent to Carl Edwards Jr. earlier this month. We vehemently condemn the content of the message and are supporting major league baseball's investigation to identify the person responsible in a sport that celebrates diversity and unites people from all backgrounds we are appalled anyone claiming to be a fan would send divisive and bigoted insults to a player whether spoken posted or published this type of reprehensible language and views cannot be tolerated in our game or society well what you got is you got a keyboard coward Edwards, who's 27, was demoted after having a 32.40 ERA in four appearances this season. So you can be mad at him and yell at him, but not knock on the the racist stuff. Uh, Meanwhile, Cubs pitcher, or former Cubs pitcher, Carlos Zambrano, remember this guy? Said he thinks he can overcome his age, his reputation, and a long major league absence to make it back. And Zambrano said yesterday in Marlins Park in Miami, why not? The Cubs are down there playing Miami uh, this week. Bartolo Colon pitched until he was 45. I'm just 37, Carlos says. According to the Chicago Sun-Times, Zambrano showed off an email from the Independent Chicago Dogs. That's a good name. They welcomed him to this season's team. The Dogs play in the American Association of Independent Professional Baseball, or otherwise known as i And their season starts May 17th. Zambrano hasn't pitched in the big leagues since 2012. From 03 to 08, 08, he uh, won double-digit games each season, led the league with 16 wins in 2006, a career 3.66 earned run average with 1,600-plus strikeouts. But Carlos also got into a fistfight in the dugout with catcher Michael Barrett back in 07. Two years later, he got into a heated argument with an umpire and beat up a Gatorade dispenser Got him a six-game suspension. Those weren't his only outburst. In 2011, he had his last with the Cubs. After giving up five home runs in an August game in Atlanta, Zambrano erupted and was ejected. He cleaned out his locker, left the stadium, reportedly telling teammates he was retiring. The Cubs suspended him, and he never pitched for the team again. Uh, one of new president Theo Epstein's first acts was to trade Carlos to Miami. Zambrano now credits God for changing him. The pivotal event happened at a Christian youth conference in his native Venezuela. He says, I went to that conference and something happened to me and changed my life. I had an encounter with God. I used to believe in God and now I'm committed. Zambrano played in the Mexican league last year. His fastball topped out at just 89 miles per hour. But in winter league, he said he hit, he said, He hit 94 and says, I want to see if I can hit 95 again. Back in his prime, Zimbrano had some of the best stuff of a group of Cubs pitchers that did include Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor, but he couldn't control his emotions. He feels that his stuff can translate to a relief role in the majors and has a new emotional perspective. What happened with me was for a purpose, he said. God can convert the most evil guy into the most dedicated man in the ministry. I'm not saying I'm perfect now. I think I can handle myself. Well, it helped the guy on the Punisher this season, so maybe it'll help him. Uh, Brad Miller is no longer a Cleveland Indian, and he's not happy about it. After being designated for assignment, Cleveland utility man Brad Miller took a shot at the team. Quote, they acknowledged that it wasn't fair, but I'm just a player. I go out there and play my hardest and play for the guys next to me. Obviously, they don't want the best guys up here, so I'm just trying to take it somewhere else and see what we've got end quote. Miller, who's 29, was moved to make room for the return of All-Star second baseman Jason Kipnis from a calf strain, and frankly, he hasn't been worth anything for two years. Miller's chief complaint appears to be that he was hitting two hundred fifty while the Indians are last in the league with a team batting average of just one hundred ninety-four. Maybe he's got a point. Besides activating Kipnis, the Indians could also get fellow All-Star Francisco Lindor back soon. He's been sent to A Columbus for a rehab assignment from an ankle injury. Miller, just a career .240 hitter with the Mariners, Rays, Brewers, and Indians says he knows it's a numbers game, but he still wants his chance. Well, Yankees fans, not good news. The banged up Yanks have added yet another player to their injured list on Tuesday. That's today. This time it was Greg Bird. The oft-injured first baseman has been struggling. For a while now, Bird was placed on the 10-day IL, retroactive to Sunday. He's got a left plantar fascia tear. The Yankees have called up first baseman Mike Ford from Triple A scranton wilkes and signed him to the Major League contract. It's unclear how long Bird will be out, and uh, his days may be numbered up there the way Voigt is playing. Meanwhile, outfielder Jacob E. Ellsbury, but Jacoby hasn't played in nearly two years, has been on the Yankees IL since last season. He also has that plantar fascia issue. While continuing to rehab that foot, he was transferred Tuesday to the 60-day IL. He'll never play again. Of course, we said that about Tiger, didn't we? Luke Voigt will be the Yankees' primary first sacker for the time being, with Ford largely serving as his backup. Could be a platoon situation at some point. Over the 14 games Voigt has appeared in this season, he's uh, DH'd nine times. It's unclear exactly how Bird got the injury he was seen hobbling up the first baseline after beating out a ground ball against the white Sox saturday he later scored as part of a three-run inning bird has batted under 200 in limited action in each of the previous two years is currently hitting just 171 that's six for 35 one dinger and one rbi this season he's had shoulder problems throughout his career he's had surgery last spring on his right ankle had another uh, Injury to the same ankle the previous season. So the Yankees now once again have a dozen players on the injured list. While starter CeCe Sabathia came off the IL to make a brilliant five-inning one-hit season debut over the weekend, New York is still missing the likes of Giancarlo Stanton with a left bicep strain, Miguel Andujar with a small labrum tear, Troy Tulowitzki a left calf strain, and Gary Sanchez, left calf strain, among others. they got to take better care of their calves. So, I mentioned earlier, I teased this. And by the way, you're listening to Holy Crap at Sports. I'm Pete Davis. And you can always follow me on Twitter at Pete Davis One. That's the number one at Pete Davis One. Or send your cards and letters, email via Pete Davis One at Yahoo.com. That's Pete Davis One at Yahoo.com. And while we're still on the air here in Atlanta, at Talk 1067 Atlanta, uh, that's FM. You can listen to me on the Kimmer show from 3 to 6 every afternoon, Atlanta time. And I do sports sometime between 5.15 and 5.25, depending on what's happening in the news, like yesterday when the Notre Dame Cathedral started burning. But uh, we got sports in anyway. Uh, Here's a brief history of why umpires wear suits. And someone wrote this, maybe for Jezebel magazine. I'm not quite sure, and I did not get the name. If I ever get the name, I will definitely attribute it because it's a nice little article. Uh, Umpires have been wearing formal attire for the nearly two-century history of baseball here in the United States. Back then, as now the ensembles were specifically worn to differentiate the umpires from the players and to imbue them with higher authority. The umpire in the amateur era back in the 1860s and 1850s even would wear what looks to be a frock coat, sometimes a stovepipe hat, flowing cravat, and even a cane. The kind of dandy look, says John Thorne, the official historian for Major League Baseball. As baseball became more popular in the 1870s, the National League formed in 1876, by the way, umpire suits were in keeping with the styles of the day, and the distinctly formal look gave them a dignified edge. But contrary to some reports, umpires in those early days were not just lawyers or doctors working a side gig. Even then, the players were likely to dispute calls, and an umpire who had a pugilistic background, a boxer, might be better equipped to handle a rowdy player than a banker or a doctor or a dentist. In other words, an umpire how to know how to throw hands so much so that in one of the most famous umpires Billy McLean was also a boxer by trade Though player and fan abuse by umpires kind of went away around World War II, kill the umpire was not an idle threat, says Thorne. The tradition of suit-wearing umpires has lived on and even evolved. When the National League began employing individual umpires, it developed regulations for them to maintain the visual effect of having an elevated authority. But there were also more practical reasons. Umpires wearing any individual team's jersey could send a signal to the fans that they were making unfair calls. Home team fans typically claimed that the umpire was in on the fix. The fix, as it were, was a notion or paranoia that the umps were on the payrolls of bookies. And in 1882, one umpire was banned for life for being in cahoots with gamblers. The uh, NBA has had trouble with that in the last decade. This notion of impartiality is how this specific strain of uh, umpire fashion has persisted. They have to be viewed by everyone concerned as not being an intimate part of the action. But somehow outside it, says Thorne, who points out that historically, a way to dispute an umpire's call was to kick dirt on his suit. See, Earl Williams. um, Earl Williams, he was a catcher for the Orioles. I mean, Earl Weaver of the Orioles the Earl of Baltimore. The idea is by kicking dirt, you attack the institution, you attack the impartiality of the umpire, and you show him to be not above the fray for better or worse. Now here's a little uh, nugget of joy I got from Sports Illustrated a couple weeks ago. Uh, In the fan section where they write back the letters uh, to editor section, a gentleman by the name of Kim Koff. Or Kof, K-O-U-G-H from Oasis, Nevada wrote this about analytics I'm very excited with the incredible investment MLB has made in new technology and I believe that we will see a market improvement in the quality of play this year, mm, really but I would love to see analytics on fans how impactful is booing, does trash talking an outfielder from the bleachers affect his defense, these important technological advances shouldn't, shouldn't be applied to the players alone Now, he may be joking. He may not be. But you know what? I would really like to know if a player, you leave him alone, he's fine. But if you yell at him, you get him upset. Remember Jim Eisenreich? used to play for the Royals and other teams who had Tourette's syndrome. And people used to get on him and get him upset. And that really affected him in the first years of his career. And what a great hitter he was, by the way. And overcame that to become a great hitter and a great player. Jim Eisenreich did. And uh, I got to say... That's not bad. And by the way, in future podcasts, we're going to talk more about that Sports Illustrated article that Kim, K-E-M, is talking about, is the fact that analytics is taking over baseball. Is it sucking the joy out of playing baseball? I think it is. It's not going away. And I'm not one of those people, get off my line, get off my field, get off my diamond, that we can't have any analytics. I'm just saying there's going to come a point. Are we going to start putting diodes in people's arms to read what their arms are actually doing, what their muscles are doing, what their tendons are doing, what their electrolytes are doing? Are we going to basically become cyborgs out there in the next 20 years? Because if you think I'm joking, no one would have thought we would have had slow speed cameras on every single pitch in every single bullpen session from spring training to the World Series three years ago. Yet here we are. Well, now it's time for the lovely portion of the show. Some people think it's the best part of the Holy Crap Sports podcast. This day in baseball history. Before we do that, we sh- I'm going to have a little drink here. Drink up, Shriners. Got a little uh, Kroger natural spring water today. Sure, that's what I'm drinking. Uh, if not for something that happened today in 1895, you Detroit Tigers fans might be yelling, "Let's go, Cream." I didn't say let's go team. I said let's go cream. The minor league baseball team in this soon-to-be Motor City was known as the Cream. And no, uh, Eric Clapton didn't play for them. A newspaper changed that name to the Tigers in a headline. And Tigers is what the city goes on in 1901 when they get an American League team. So on this date, 1935, on a snowy day at Boston Braves Field and near freezing temperatures due to early onset climate change, Babe Ruth makes his National League debut, smacking a homer off New York Giants legend Carl Hubble, he of the screwball. The Braves beat the Gents, but go on to only win 37 games that season. It was so cold for the game that day, how cold was it, the band started playing jingle bells. On this day in 1940, President Franklin Roosevelt's opening day ceremonial first pitch at Griffith Stadium in Washington, D.C. is so far off the mark, it smashes into a Washington Post camera. I mean, if he'd have been in Durham, he would have hit the mascot. Red Sox Hall of Famer Lefty Grove goes on to shut out the Senators 1-0. On this date, 1946, before another opening day loss by the Senators to the Red Sox again, President Harry Truman becomes the first press to throw the ceremonial first pitch left-handed. Four years later, he's going to do it again, but this time both left and right-handed, becoming our first amphibious commander-in-chief. On this day in 1946, the Boston Braves are forced to issue an apology in the newspapers after 5,000 fans attending their home opener left Braves' field with most of their clothes covered in green stripes. Seems the newly painted grandstand seats hadn't exactly dried. The Braves have yet to had to shell out $6,000 to 13,000 patrons. That's a lot of money in 1946, with some claims coming in as far as Nebraska and California. On this day, 1964, Bill Shea takes holy water gleaned from the Gowanus Canal, which is near Old Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. I don't think I'm getting near a canal in Brooklyn. Uh, plus, holy water brought from the Harlem River, where it flows past the old Polo grounds, combines the two, then pours the waters out to christen the new Shea Stadium home of the Mets. On this day in 1983, Padres' first baseman, Steve Garvey, appears in his 1,118th consecutive game, breaking the NL record set by Hall of Famer Billy Williams of the Cubs, who set the record back in 1970. Garvey is known, back oh, those of us who lived in SoCal back in the 80s, Garvey is known as the father of Southern California for his proclivity for spawning bastard children from San Isidro to the Inland Empire. Uh, For those of you like me, the poor saps who were here on this inauspicious date 1986 in Atlanta, the Braves set the National League record for losses to start a season with their 10th straight loss. On this day in 1994, a Colorado National Guard contingent escorts a dinosaur egg into Coors Field in Denver, the same egg uncovered during excavation for the ballpark. That's when Dinger, the Rockies' purple mascot, jumps out of the egg, the three-horned dino, Dino Dino resembles an actual triceratops skull found during construction on this date in 2008 Kyle Kendrick of the Phillies is stunned to hear he's been traded to a team in Japan for Takeru Kobayashi if that name sounds familiar it should Kobayashi is the former Coney Island Nathan's hot dog eating champion. Before he was banned, the deal is an elaborate hoax perpetrated by Phil's manager, Charlie Manuel, assistant general manager, Ruben Amaro Jr., teammate Brett Myers and members of the media who obviously have nothing better to do on this date. 1928. The Braves pitcher back in Boston, Charlie Robson, had his glove removed from the game by umpire Charlie Moran after the Brooklyn Robins, later to become the Dodgers, complained that the ball is acting strangely. The Boston hurler still manages to win 3-2. On this day, 1929, in a 5-4 opening day victory over Detroit at League Park, Indians rookie center fielder Earl Averill homers on an 0-2 pitch off Detroit's hurler Earl Whitehill, becoming the first American leaguer to hit a home run in his first major league at-bat. The Earl of Snohomish will also be the first future Hall of Famer to accomplish the feat. Good player. 1929, also on opening day, the Indians became the first team to wear numbers on the back of their jerseys on a permanent basis. When they edged Detroit... The Tribe beat the Yankees in becoming the first team to regularly don digits when the earlier scheduled Bronx Bombers contest against Boston was washed out in New York City. On this day in 1946, on opening day, Mel Ott hits his 511th and final home run of his career. You know he of stepping in the bucket when he swung left-handed in the Giants' 8-4 victory over Philadelphia at the Polo Grounds, a ballpark in which Mel hit 63% of his round trippers. Tell you a little bit about right field. The 37-year-old player manager who has 200 more homers than any other national leaguer at the time will retire third on the all-time list, trailing only Babe Ruth and Jimmy Fox. Jimmy had 534. On this day in 1957, Andre Rodgers became the first Bahamian to play in the major leagues when he grounds into a 6-4 force play, facing Bob Friend in the top of the second inning of the Giants' 92 loss at Pittsburgh's Forbes Field. The 22-year-old shortstop's roommate and fellow Caribbean, Valmy Thomas, entering the game in the sixth inning to replace catcher Wes Westrum also becomes the first native of the Virgin Islands, don't know if it's American or British, to play in a big league game. 1972 on this date, on the second day of the season, Burt Hooten making his fourth career start. No hits, the Phillies at Wrigley Field for nothing. The Cubs hurler becomes the 12th rookie to throw a no-hitter. I loved his knuckle curve. Man, I spent years trying to get that thing down, throwing a tennis ball with it up against a dairy barn. On this day in 1975, after making the second of his two poor starts for the Dodgers, Juan Marichal who signed with the team as a free agent, appears in his final major league game. The 37-year-old Dominican Dandy finishes his 16-year Hall of Fame career with more complete games, 244, than the total of his victories. 243. That high-leg kick right-hander spent most of his career with the Giants. Man, it must have killed him to have to sign with the Dodgers. Definitely didn't pull a Jackie Robinson and retire instead. 1978, on this date. Cardinal Bob Forsch, no-hits. The Phillies 5-0. And less than a year later, Bob's brother, Ken of the Astros, will pitch a no-hitter against Atlanta, making the siblings the first brothers to throw no-hitters in the big leagues. On the state in 1984, in his first three at-bats, the A's Dave Kingman hits three home runs, including a grand slam, driving in eight runs against the Mariners in a 9-6 to six victory. Sky King, as he was known, will compile five three-round tripper games during his 16-year career, second only to Johnny Mize. Who accomplished the feat six times from 1938 to 1950, while with the Cardinals and Yankees, Mize hails from the mountains of uh, North Georgia. They have a little platform up there in Demarest, I believe. And uh, I tell you what, Dave Kingman was before his time, because he is like the Joey Gallo from the right side of his day. And finally, on this day in 1997, the Cubs set the record for the worst start in National League history when they extend their losing streak to 12 games with a 4-0 loss to Colorado at Wrigley Field. Chicago surpasses the overall senior circuit mark of 0-11, established back in 1884 by the Detroit Wolverines. No, not the cream, the Wolverines. But you know what? That's a pretty cool name. I'm surprised more uh, teams than the uh, Michigan uh, college team. Don't have the name Wolverines. Anyway, that's another episode for Holy Crap It Sports for this uh, Tuesday. And by the way, I'm trying to trying to tailor these podcasts so it's more. Not timely, but something you can listen to not just the day of, but the next day and the next day and the next day because there will be more stuff that are not just for that specific day in the podcast. So you can even tune in a few weeks later and uh, hear about why umpires wear suits, things like that, or maybe the history of Jackie Robinson like we did yesterday and some other stuff. So it's it's something that you can always go back to and listen to if you want to and and catch up a little bit of what's going on in the world of baseball. Thank you again for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Pete Davis 1 or you can send me emails Pete Davis one at yahoo.com or follow me right now uh, while we're still on the air at uh, talk 1067 FM Atlanta uh, the Kimmer show from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday and I do sports uh, besides making smart ass comments for most of the show. I will do sports from somewhere between 5:15 and 525 uh, every day Monday through Friday. Right there, Eastern Time. Everybody, have a lovely night. Wow. I'll say it once again: Drake up, Shriners. Let's. Uh, how about a mai tai?